And Thanksgiving is a time in which we get together and we say thanks. That doesn't mean we're not thanking the Lord all during the year. But praise God that he gave men wisdom to set aside a special time in which we really give thanks. Because we are a people that are so forgetful. How many times do you hear somebody today say thank you for something you've done? Because they just take it for granted, and that's our culture today. We don't say thank you too often to people when they've done something for us. But when it comes to the Lord, we should always be thanking Him. He tells us to always give thanks. But to have that one day set aside, and basically only America does it. And I think America really recognized America would not have been America if God would not have done what God had done in America. And therefore we acknowledge him. And it goes back to Abraham Lincoln, somewhat starting it, that we would recognize a time in which we thank him. And now we're getting ready to approach Christmas. And, and, and Christ was not born in December. Most people know that. But it's a time that we set aside to recognize that he came into this world. If not, we would soon forget that. (laughs) And then that next holiday that follows the resurrection. If he didn't set that aside for us to reflect on and really think about, we'd forget about his resurrection. And we would become very quickly what A.B. Simpson somewhat said. We would become a people who only seek for the blessings of God, but not the giver of the blessings. Because we acquaint only with sometimes the things that are good, but ever recognizing who is contributing to that good. So it's, again... It is a blessing to be able to celebrate. And just think how many countries. Evers told us they don't do this in Colombia. And boy, she just enjoyed herself. It was more meaningful to her this year. Even as she heard her daughter give thanks for things. <laughs> the thing is that we want to be able to do that and recognize Who has blessed us? Who has truly blessed us? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for being the God who is able to do far above what we could ever imagine or think. And Lord, you do that on our behalf. And we forget, Lord, what the word says. That, Lord, you will hold no good thing from us. If you gave us Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, what would you withhold from us? And all we need to do is ask in faith. Ask knowing that this is your will and how we're going to use it is going to glorify you. Lord, may you continue, O God, to build us up as a people who are thankful 
for the God who blesses us. For every good and perfect gift and all that we possess and all that we have comes from you. The very next breath we take comes from you. The soundness of our mind and moving comes from you. For we live and move in Christ Jesus. We dwell in you. You are our dwelling place. And Lord, we thank you. May you continue to teach us. May you continue to minister to us. May you continue to open our minds and pour into our hearts those things that, Lord, that sometimes seem so far off from us in understanding. But, Lord, bring understanding to us. Allow us to know how blessed we are. Allow us to know the good things you have done on our behalf. Allow us to sense and to know your breath upon our face. And we'll give you praise and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to continue on with this topic now, salvation in church. Uh, Because... Oftentimes, again, I will say it, people think they're saved to just come sit in a church. You're not saved to just come sit in a church. I got my part on. I'm waiting for you to get your part on. And the whole process is we think we get saved and we're saved from hell. And that's all it is. And I'm on my way to heaven. It has nothing to do with your age. I've been somewhat looking at mine and with this other birthday coming up real soon. uh, I was asking the Lord, can I say what Caleb said at 80? Lord, give me my land. Now what am I going to do with a piece of land at 80 years old? (laughs) But that was Caleb's mind. He didn't look at his age and say, well, that was promised long ago. That has bypassed and I can't do nothing with it. His thing was, Lord, give me my land that you promised. And he was ready to go to work at it. The scripture says as long as we have breath, do what? Yeah. And even in the sermon last week, When you worship, you're serving in the worship. You're working at it. You're deepening it. You're making it better. You're going after it like a servant who serves. You're at it. You're at it. Making it better and better. And in this life, because we're saved, we want to be better servants to the Lord. We just don't want to be sitting on a bench or sitting in a pew or sitting in a chair. We want to come in with this attitude. Lord, fill my cup. Lord, I lift it up to you. 
Fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up until I want no more. Fill it up. For that when I go out of this place, it's like I've been at the gas station. I just filled up my tank, and now I know I can travel a while, but I also know eventually i got to stop again and do what? Get filled up again. So by time Sunday rolled back around again, I'm ready to be what? Filled up anew. That I can go back out. Salvation is that area in which God begins to groom you and prepare you. And it is in that time, that in that preparation, that God keeps testing you. And he keeps testing you by sending you out. Sending you out into strange areas. Sending you out into strange relationships. Sending you out into strange areas. He sends you out. Now, as parents, guess what? We do the same thing. We send our kids when they get five years old where? Off to school. Guess what? Brand new experience. Whole new surroundings. But we send them out there. Then when they finish those 12 years, then we're ready to send them one or the other place, either to a job or to college. I told mine, you can go White Bridge College. They didn't say nothing about jobs. The issue is that you're going to college. The, The thing is, is that we're always sending our young people where? We're sending them out. We're sending them out. And then sending them out, we're hoping that as they go out, they're going to have a different experience than what they had at home. But what they learned at home, they will now be able to apply where at? Out in their experiences. Out where they're sent. Because they have a basis to launch themselves from. They have some knowledge, but they're going to gain more knowledge. One of the things I love doing at uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, whenever we get together, we, we're going to talk about ethics. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about the world in general. Boy, we go at it, too. Yeah. And uh, the whole process is that we sharpen each other in doing that. We, we open up each other's minds in doing that. We allow each other to see something in a different perspective while we're doing that. And I mean, we go at it pretty strong, especially when you hit politics with Tia, because that's her specialty, you know. But the whole process is that sometimes for young folks, as the old folks would say, You haven't lived long enough yet (laughs) to really experience. And the process, when I start talking about Eisenhower, (laughs) well, she didn't know an Eisenhower, really. She wasn't even born yet. But Eisenhower is the one who says, America's failure with this election is this. 
They're hoping to elect a Christian and put a Christian in the White House that will set the standards for morals rather than the people of the United States themselves setting the morals and not one person. And he was right. He was right. Jesus sends his 12 out. But he also sends out 72. Luke gives us in 9, the 12, and then over in chapter 10, he sends out the 72. Now, there's a nine-month period between that, sending out of the 12 and sending out the 72. There's approximately a nine-month period. Now, could the 12 went out with the 72? Some think that they could have. They were just numbered in with them. And uh, some say very sternly, no. The reason is because in the 72, the 12 are not mentioned. But over in all the other areas, whenever you talk about the 12, you're talking about who? The apostles. You get more than that, now you're talking about disciples. Were apostles disciples? Yes, they were disciples. Were all disciples apostles? No, just the 12. And the thing comes around that, boy, he sends them both out. Now, in that sending out, we need to recognize the 12 are the apostles, the 72 are the disciples, but he sends them out for their own learning. He has spent time with both of them and spent time with them a little differently. Both are sent out at different times, not together. Not together. And I think that is an important step for Jesus to, to take, that he did not send the apostles with the disciples, nor the disciples with the apostles. Though when you look at all the readings of it, from Matthew, Luke, and Mark, all the instructions are the same, basically. All the instructions are basically the same. Both are given the same authority to heal and to cast out demons. The whole process, they're there doing the same thing. I want to suggest to you this thought. Ready? Do I have your ears? You don't have to have the title reverend to preach the good news. You don't have to have any certain degree to preach the good news. All you got to do is spend some time with Jesus. (laughs) It's not about a title. If you're an apostle or if you're a disciple, you all have been given authority. Now, because the apostles are apostles, they do have some authority that the disciples don't have. And I believe that's what Jesus is making a difference in. But yet at the same time, when they just go out and do ministry, if you just go out and do ministry, how many of you understand, if you are witnessing and discipling or shepherding two or three people out, guess what you're doing? You're pastoring. You're pastoring. You got the license to do it? 
No, but you have the authority to do it in the name of Jesus. And I think he makes a difference because he wants both of them to recognize. You both are being sent. All who name the name of Jesus Christ, guess what? You're being sent with the same authority, basically. If you name the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been sent into areas of life with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to do ministry on his behalf, to represent him, to look like him, to act like him. You have that authority. doesn't matter what your title is. You've been given authority, just like the 12 or the 72. Now, I'm glad he makes that distinction there because if we only had the 12 it would be very easy to just say that's the responsibility of that leadership group no it is the responsibility of everyone who names the name of Christ because we've all been given the same authority to preach the word to lay hands on people to pray that God would heal and touch people that God would cleanse people, that God would mend the brokenhearted. We have that same authority in doing so. And he tells us that he gives it to both of them. In some ministries we share, we have the same authority in order to achieve, and that's the main issue, to achieve what God has assigned you to do. He gives you authority for the purpose of working out His will in your life and speaking into the lives of others. And recognize this. It's not about titles. It's about your heart. It's about your obedience. It's about your closeness to him. Now, what we need to also recognize is simply this. I hope I didn't go back. I didn't hit too far. Is that we need to recognize he sends both of these groups out. They both have the same authority. They both have the same purpose. Both were given instructions by Jesus. And I'm going to share something with you. If God hasn't given you instructions, don't move. Don't move. But if you are really a servant of the Lord, you're going to receive instructions. You're going to receive instructions. More from God than what you will from man. Because you are his servant. You are his child. And he's going to lead you and direct you. Now, they were not to go to the Gentile Samaritan. Both of them had those same instructions. Understand this. God was not leading them into areas totally unknown to them. 
He was putting them back with cousins and relatives, brothers and sisters. In one sense, he just said, go home and witness there at home among your own Jewish group. And there shouldn't be no opposition, should there? And yet there's opposition amongst their own people. And if you can't stand the opposition among your own household, you definitely won't stand it on the outside. Because you're going to have opposition as you really grow in the Lord. Mark Twain's wife was a godly woman until she married him. Mark Twain himself writes about it. And Mark Twain would make light of her and make fun of her. And always get, well, where's your God? Where's your God? And her devotion slacked off. Her devotion slacked off. But as her devotion slacked off and her closeness to the Lord was removed, Mark Twain began to see a different wife. And one day he spoke to her and he simply said, go ahead and do your devotions. Go ahead and love Jesus. I won't make any more comments about it. And she said, it's too late. I've already lost it. And he said, my wife was never the same, nor our relationship. Nor our relationship. And, and the thing is this, people will push you to a point where you will think and believe God isn't there and God isn't real. And this is just something that you're going through. And he says, don't go to the Gentiles and Samaritans. I want you to take this message only to Israel. That's all. Why? You're familiar with them. You know them. Them are your buddies. Them the ones you run around with. Them the ones you go fishing with. Them the ones you swim with. This the ones you hang out with. This the ones you used to party with. Now take that message back there. You're comfortable with them before you go to the Gentiles or Samaritans who were your enemies. Then he says that he gave them a message. The message was about the kingdom of heaven. The message was about repentance. Mark also calls it the message of the gospel. And here that gospel would have to be good news because, see, Jesus Christ had never, had not yet died or resurrected. Yet Mark used it as the gospel. King James uses the same word, gospel. And then it has to be nothing else but the good news because the other has not taken place yet. And they were commissioned, both groups, to drive out demons, to deal with demons. See, the church takes it very lightly. And I'm almost frightened to say to Melvin, Melvin, I really want you to teach on demons, because the moment you start teaching on demons, you're going to be attacked by demons. Secondly, when you begin to understand the powers that the demons have, it's surprising how many people want that power. So the church has stirred 
away from really teaching on demons or demonology and has focused really just on Christ. But it keeps us from really knowing the real power of our enemy. And the process is that he says, I want you to cast out demons. You know, today the church don't think, a lot of it don't even believe there is a demon. Most of us don't even believe we're in spiritual warfare. Or if Ephesians 6 is talking about spiritual warfare, who are we in warfare with? The, the process, if there is somebody else that you are to flee from and draw nigh unto God, that tells me he's a powerful individual. And I need to draw nigh unto who? Unto God. And Satan himself will then what? Flee from me. See, Satan don't mind messing with me, but he won't mess with my God. And that's why we need to know we dwell in Christ. We stay hooked to the vine. We stay in him. We stay close to him. Somebody was telling me something last week about some bad dreams they were having. This was happening and that was happening. And I said, well, one of the things I want you to do is plead the blood of Christ over your bedroom. Secondly, I want you to plead the blood over your own mind. Next thing I want you to do is claim you have the mind of Christ. And then I want you to just say in your home, anything that's in this home that is not of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to depart from it. And what happens with a lot of Christians, we don't take authority. So when we see our children sometimes rebelling, we don't think there's a demon behind that, something else teaching them, something else whispering into their ears. But you need to understand the difference. If God says to honor your father and mother and your child's not doing that, where is that other coming from? And he tells them, cast out those demons. Whenever you start into ministry or any type of ministry with Christ, you're going to have a battle with the enemy. It can be personal, number one, that attacks you personally. Or it can be something that takes you away from what God has called you to do. Therefore, he can attack your children, your wife, someone that draws your attention from what? From what God has called you to do. Or he can attack somebody close to you, outside of your family or whatever, that takes your attention again or your focus off what God's called you to do. He gives them all, both of them, that ability to do that. Go to Mark 6 and go to verse 12. He simply says in 6.12, he says, They went out and preached that people should repent. They had the same message, but each one of the gospel gives it a little bit different. Preach that the kingdom of God is near. Preach that the kingdom of God is coming. The whole process... It's the same thing, basically. And he says, They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Same thing's happening in both cases. Go over to Matthew real quick, 10, 7. 
he simply says, let me get there. As you go preaching this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now imagine they had the same thing. Preach repentance also. Preach repentance also. And even with the 70, it was the same thing, that the kingdom of God is near. They had to learn that the worker is worthy of his keep. And we all have to learn that. And, and both of them sometimes worry about, you're telling me, don't take no money, so I can't check into a hotel. Don't take this. Don't take no extra clothing. Don't take this long with me. And, and, and many of us sitting here today, if Jesus told us to move somewhere and leave every piece of belonging we have right where it was at, we would be saying, Lord, talk to me later. But he, he says to them, leave it all. Leave it all. Why? Because I will supply all your needs. Going out and sending someone out is a step of faith. And when people leave home, it's a step of faith. They're hoping they can step out there and don't what? Have to come back. They're hoping that they can step out there and really provide all that they need to provide for themselves. And here with Jesus, he's letting them step out before he ever leaves the scene because it is a test and it is a training experience that this is what you're going to do when I'm gone. You're going to be sent out and you're going to be tested by people. We're going to talk about four things that really are going to be tested. And four things that you have to know about yourself. But he says, boy, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. And you're worthy of your work. Now what they had to understand is this. You're not supplied by man. You are supplied by God. Now God might use man. And that's why he says in Matthew, he tells them, search for a home, search for a worthy person. It's not that you didn't do anything. You're searching for that one that God has already touched their heart. God is ready to open that door for you. That he's God's woman, God's man, that's ready to say, sit down and eat with them. It's there, but now you've got to find him. And just keep walking with me, and I'll lead you to him. But you got to search a little bit. But I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to house you. You don't have to take any of that stuff with you. I'll take care of you. See, many of you have heard the story with Elaine and I. If it was not Gus being sick, we would have been in the midst of the flood. We would have been the second home hit when the dam broke at the Coral Falls. And boy, when we lost our 
blocks, we, we went back to the same guy who we bought the trailer from, the company, and we asked him, why didn't you set our trailer? And he said, I've been in this business for over 30 years, and I've never done that. I sold your trailer. Now, we paid the man cash for that trailer. But I'm so thankful he didn't set it because it wouldn't have had insurance on it. (laughs) And plus, we were able to get a better trailer. He told us, just go out on the lot and pick out whatever you want out there. He gave us a better trailer. And, and, And that whole thing is that God did provide. God provided. When Elaine needed surgery, we didn't have the money, but five different churches up in this area came together and paid for Elaine's surgery. And we can just go on and on and on how God has provided. You know? And I, and I, and I want to thank the Lord for this. I've never asked this church for a raise. And yet, you've always provided. That the, the process is not that I have to worry about things. But God takes care of it. Sometimes I look back now, how do we send three kids to college? How did this happen? How did that happen? Just amazing. But God will take care of his workers. If he sends you, he'll take care of you. If he sends you, he'll supply you. God will do it. Based as Philippians says in 419, according to his riches, where? In Christ Jesus. If you think you're going on a vacation because you're going on a mission trip, you may not be supplied what you have needed. But if you're going over there to work and lift up the name of Jesus, then that's different. So in Matthew 10, 11, he says, search for that worthy person. He says, whatever is put before you in that house, you eat it. Why? I'm providing it. Maybe you like to go to without eating for three or four days. Then you'll eat anything. See, some of us who is in Vietnam, we learn how to eat without washing hands. We learn how to eat right out the can, that old cold beef stew, all the grease up on top, you know. You learn how to adapt. And he says, when you find that house, you'll know it by this. Give it your peace. And if your peace rests there, then that's the one. Give it your peace. And if your peace rests there, that's the one. But if your peace doesn't reside there and doesn't rest there, then kick the dust off your shoes and keep on moving. Now, they are to learn in their going. Everyone doesn't like them. They're taking this message, but just because you got a message doesn't mean that everybody's ready to receive what? The message. They're among the same group of people. But they're speaking a little different message talking about Jesus Christ. 
they're speaking a little different message, talking about repent, because in their minds, only person they're looking for is who? Their Messiah. Not knowing he was already here. And when you go out and you're going to meet with people, you've got to understand something. People will have a different thought and a different mindset maybe than what you will have. And therefore, you want to be as wise as that serpent and yet as gentle as that dove. And that word there, harmless, is to be safe and not damaging. You don't damage yourself, nor do you damage the other person. And what you need to understand that you're already dealing with somebody with a lot of bruises and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And you want to use wisdom. And you're not there to destroy them or damage them any more than what they are. Now, they are learning to do ministry. And this is an important point without his presence. All other ministry had been taking place and Jesus had been there in the forefront leading them and they were watching him and they were learning from him. But now when he sends them out, he doesn't go with them. He stays back. He doesn't go with them because in the future when he's gone, guess what? His presence is not going to be there. But he's there. How do we know he's there? Because when they came back with the report, even the demons submitted to us because of what? Your name. And he was there present in name and authority. Name. For in that name there is absolute authority. His presence was not there. But they had to learn how to use his name. They had to know how to do the work that they've seen him do. And he sends them out. He had to build their confidence that this thing works without his presence, seeing him, that it works. And he sends them out without his presence. He is there, but he's not seen. Jesus is here, but he's not seen. And when you speak in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is there. God the Father is there. The Holy Spirit is there. You just don't see them. But they're there. They're there. And they had to learn that. They learned his spiritual presence by his name. Go with me to Luke real quick. Luke 10. Because it's something that we have to recognize also. It's in the name of Jesus. It's not because I am accurately quoting Scripture and I'm saying this absolutely. Boy, you can go and check it out word for word. It's not about my history. It's not about this. It's not about my knowledge. It's about His name with the authority to speak. So He says, In verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us. Now, they didn't stop there. 
in your name. Not in my name. Not in the words so much that I spoke. But they submitted because of your name. And your name was presence. And we need to learn how to use his name appropriately. And speak it in that power of the Holy Spirit. The whole process is his name is powerful. But we're so lax with his name. They were learning to walk by faith as he sent them out. While they were with him, they just followed him. And they talk about the great things he did. Now, he's commissioning them to do those things. But when they go out prepared to do what they have seen him do and what they've been taught to do, it takes faith. You'll be surprised sometime how I feel on the inside when I'm praying that God heals somebody. I'm saying on the inside, will this work? (laughs) I'm saying, Lord, are you going to do it? But yet we've been called to do what? To pray over the sick. We've been sent out to heal the sick. And we do it in his name. And whatever he's going to do, he's going to do. And sometime in my prayer, I need to even whisper, Lord, forgive me for my double-mindedness. Lord, forgive me for my little faith. Lord, forgive me for doubting you. Because all that comes from where? The enemy. And these men had to go out without Jesus and learn how to walk by faith. And God is sending all of us out. That we can learn how to walk by what? By faith. Learning how to walk. Calling upon His great name. Learning how to depend upon Him. Not on ourselves. But upon Him. And that whole process is that you're going to run with His name. And you're going to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. And you're going to learn, Lord, I believe that your name is powerful. And in your name, this person can get up and walk. In your name, Lord, this person can be healed. In your name, Lord. They were learning to represent Jesus. When we go out, we learn to represent. When a company sends a salesperson out, is that salesperson going out in their own name or in the name of the company? They're going based out in the name of the company. Therefore, they even tell you now, if somebody comes to your door and they don't have their badge on in the company name, don't even let them what? Don't even let them in. They, you don't let them in just because they got their name showing. You got to see who they represent. And the whole process, when we go out, we don't want people to see our statue so much. We want them to see the light that is in us that is shining, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We want them to see that we're his ambassadors. We want them to see that we're representing him. We want them to see that we're about his work, not ours. And the apostles had to learn all that. They were learning to represent Jesus well. To carry out his will, not their will. And they were learning how to be exactly what 2 Corinthians 5.20 said. We are his ambassadors. An ambassador doesn't represent himself. He represents this country. Not himself. They had to learn to trust and more themselves. That's why he sent them out two by two. Plus two always gave a witness because what was ever done was verified by what? Two witnesses. But yet they had to learn how to do something. Work together. Not independently, but together. They had to be able to trust that person that they were working with. And that person that was working with them had to learn how to trust them. And there's that trust issue that comes into play whenever there's two of you doing something. Is this like somebody who is working on a large motor and on both sides, one side a person got to hold it, the other side the person's trying to torque the boat part off, but the other side got to hold. And you're trusting each other to independently do what? Do what they need to do. You're trusting each other. And in trusting each other, you begin to learn each other. See, two people or three people working together just don't automatically happen. You learn how to work with each other. You learn the weaknesses of each other. You learn the thinking of each other. You learn what you can expect from the other. You learn the real loyalty of the other. You learn. And he sends them out two by two because they're going to learn how to function as a team and that team is going to learn how to function within the guidelines that have been given them through Jesus Christ, his instructions, And then they're both going to learn how to depend on him. All of us will learn that. Then it's the coming together is always the beginning point. Just because you put two people together to work doesn't mean that they'll do well first. Why? They're learning. You put two horses that have never tried it together. They kind of like pull against each other until they learn each other's trot and movement. The whole thing, you can put two horses side by side galloping. And they have not galloped together before. One will go out in front of the other one just a little. Because they think they're in competition. They're kind of like racing with each other. But if they've been two that know how to walk with each other, gallop with each other, they kind of like run together. Which makes a good team when pulling. And coming together is only the beginning point. That's the starting point. Now the other issue comes here. Staying together. 
One of the reasons that you don't hear too much about partnerships in business anymore, because partnerships were always undermining. Somebody was always undermining the other partner or cheating on the other partner or doing this with the partner. So it moved from partnership to corporations. Now we're moving from corporation to LLCs. <laughs> but the whole process is this here. If you can stay together and you can work out all them differences from the beginning point, now you begin to see some progress. Okay. That's why I say in marital counseling, if you get past the first five years, you got a chance to run. But you got to get past the first five years. Because those five years are those adjustment years. Those five years is where you're learning each other. Those five years where you begin to learn to say, I don't like that. Because you don't say it in the first two years. Because you don't want to hurt the person. But as they say, after you've been together for a while, you get enough, and then you begin to say, I don't like that. Don't say that's right too quick, Rilla. <laughs> But Elaine will tell me real quick, I'm going to do it. No, no. Or she'll tell me, oh, no. We first got married, I got strawberries in bed with sure cake. I ain't had strawberries in bed since I, 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 can't, I can't even remember. Boy, hey, and, and then, boy, I tell you, there were just things that I was waited on. Oh, man, and I wonder where that woman went sometime. <laughs> you know? and, and that whole process, we get through those things because the thing is, we want to see progress in our relationship. We want to see progress in our marriage. We want to see progress. And, and that's the thing that you're looking for. How do you progress together? Okay, you come together. You got a beginning point. Now you got to work out all that other junk before you can begin to make some progress. And see, the thing like we shared with our kids the other day, we're very proud of them, of what they've been able to achieve because that's the success now of our life or our story in a sense. So that in that process, you have your beginning you want to have your progress, but when you really learn to work together, you'll show successfulness. You'll show successfulness because you've learned how to work as a team. And that's what he wanted these men to learn, how to be successful. But they had to learn how to first work together. Because when you first work with someone, you start complaining. You ain't doing your part. Lift that up. I got most of the weight over on this side. You need to do this and you need to do that. I've done more than what you have done. And you get all this criticism that comes in, all these complaints that come in. But as you begin to learn how to work together, because now you discover each other's weaknesses, you discover each other's strengths, you begin to learn how to tap into them. So that you can begin to see some progress. And then you're able to see some success. They had to learn coming together with learning to work together to accomplish God's will. And they both had to understand that. This is not about me and you. This is not about us being in competition. This is about us. 
doing God's will. Marriage is that most important part about marriage. That we're both here to do what? God's will. If we're going to progress, if we're going to be successful, we both have to have that as our goal. We're not here in competition. We're here for one purpose. Accomplish God's will. Now, four important lessons. I'm going to tell you all right now. I'm going to go about maybe ten minutes over, so don't y'all get excited. I'm doing good. Four important areas that you want to take note of because I believe the apostles and disciples had to go through these the same thing inside. And you got you're the only one who can really look at yourself. You're the one that has to examine yourself. You're the one that has to do it. And I believe he sent them out away from himself so they could be also honest with themselves. Sometime when you're around certain people, you won't be 100% what? Honest. But when you're off by yourself and talking to yourself, (laughs) you become a little bit more honest. Somebody can ask you something about your marriage and, "Mm, it's okay, I'm doing great, we're working on it. Then when you get over here, I ain't done nothing to try to improve that thing. I don't really want that thing. You, you get more honest with yourself. Oh, I, I really do love her. I want to be with her. You get more honest with yourself. And I believe Jesus sent them out for that time of them to be able to reflect upon their own heart. When God sends you into ministry, you've got to ask this question. Have I really accepted Christ in my heart. Is he really my Lord? Not some God I believe in. But have I really made him Lord of my life? Am I really living for him and thinking with his mind? And thinking about his glory? Thinking about what will please him? They have to admit Jesus into their total life. Go with me to Psalms 26.2. Psalms 26.2. Because you have to be willing to acknowledge Christ completely. In 26.2, it says, test me, O Lord, and try me. He sends them out there to be tested. He sends them out there to be tried on the issue. Am I really committed to Jesus? Why? Because Jesus, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus recognized some of the things that he said in John 6. He had some disciples who turned away because they said, this is too hard. They had not totally committed committed to Christ or totally allowed him in. And they said, this is too hard. 
this is too hard, too difficult. And you've got to come to that place. God is sending me. I know I don't have the ability. I know I don't have the strength. I know I don't have the funds for it. But I know my Savior. And I live for Him. And if He says go, I go. And He says in that verse, Test me, O Lord, and try me. He says, examine my heart and my what? My mind. And my mind. Not just the heart, but it got to be the heart and mind clicking together. See, you can have all the stuff right up in your head, but nothing in the heart. And the other way works too. You can have a lot of zeal in the heart and no knowledge in the head to share anyhow. they got to run together. Go over to Lamentations, right after Jeremiah there. Go to Lamentations, chapter 3, and get to verse 40. And you have a pen, underline it for yourself. And then say, Lord, do that. Do that in my life. He says, let us examine our ways and test them. See, I'm going to go out here in ministry now. Am I going to do it God's way or am I going to do it my way? See? And, and I'm testing the, the ways in which I'm doing things. Are they really of God or are they of me? Am, am I the one who is directing this thing or is God directing this thing? Am I the one kicking the doors in or is God just opening the doors for me? See? you got to really begin to ask God. Let us examine, and I like that. Let us do it. Let us examine our ways and test them. And let us return where? To the Lord. Let us do that. There's the two of us together, and we're trying to work together. Let's test this thing. Let's see if it's of the Lord. Let's see if God's going to answer it this way or this way. And we'll know which way by way in which he answers. And he says, let us allow God to examine this thing. Second Corinthians 13.5 real quick. Second Corinthians 13.5. Because oftentimes we wind up not allowing God to do the testing. And he says, since he says in that verse 5, examine yourself. Now we'll take a good look at who. We're so quick to put blame or put fault over on somebody else. And what we need to first look at before I ever put it somewhere else is really look at my own motive. Look at myself. And if I'm so important... Why shouldn't that person be feel that they're important? But it's the humbling of yourself to allow God to function. I know I'm the head of my house, but sometimes I gotta shut my mouth. I can put my own foot in my own mouth. 
and listen to Elaine sometime. She's going to make me listen anyhow, but to really listen, see, to really listen. Without trying to be the show-off or just looking at it from my way, see. And that's why with my kids, we sit and we talk because I learn a lot from them. I learn so much from them. And he says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. To see if you're walking uprightly the way you ought to be walking, not how the other person should be walking. But are you walking the way God would have you to walk? Are you living the way God would have you to live? He sent them out to learn all that. Second point, learn to submit. And that's hard to do, isn't it? That you learn to submit to the Lord's will and to the authority of man. Learn to submit even to another person when they say, I don't want to hear it. You just going to make them hear it? But you learn to submit to God's will and even to the will of others. And you learn to submit by going and doing. Going and doing. We are not just going in his will. But what you have to learn how to do is to, boy, function in his will. You have to learn how to expedite things in his will. Organize things in his will. That you're doing it in the manner in which he would have you to do it. For we live and move and have our being in him. In Him. That everything we do is in Him. And when I'm doing something outside on my own, it's not in Him. And it's not in His will. And that happens often with us. But we need to get to a point that we identify it when we're functioning in our own will and when we're functioning in His will. Because when I'm functioning in his will, I can come back to scripture and he'll show it to me. Third thing. Commit your ways to Jesus. Boy, when you get there, sometimes people say, well, what do I got these things between my head? You got it between your head in order to learn how to be obedient to him and to carry out his will. He didn't call you to be an independent thinker outside of him. (laughs) But you learn how to think as he thinks. You learn how to think as he thinks. And when you learn how to think as he thinks, then you will act as he acts. Go to Proverbs 3.6. Most of you even know it by heart. But the issue is that we need to know it and we need to understand it that we're there and that he wants us to act in a certain way. And therefore he says, in all your ways acknowledge him. Jesus, 
what would you have me to do? I have this thought, and, and, I, and I think this might be the way, but, but Lord, would you direct my steps? Would you order my steps? Would you put my feet on the path that you want me to travel? That you begin to acknowledge him. That you're not doing this thing in and just of yourself and of your own thinking and of your own thoughts. But you're acknowledging him and you're asking him to be in the mix of all your decisions, all your actions, your daily life. You're acknowledging him. You're committing all your ways to him. And while I'm at it, even your finances. If you commit your finances to him, let him grow the interest. You'd be surprised what might happen. He's not asking you to commit just some of the things of your life. He wants you to what? Commit every part of your life, your whole life to him. And they had to learn that. And then fourthly, and sometimes this is a tough one, you have to learn to transmit knowledge to others. That can be tough. You can think that you're explaining something very clear. And it's not being understood. And it's very easy to say, well, they know English. No. There's sometimes a street talk, you have to talk in the street language. When you're in a different country sometimes, the way you explain things are very important. But we all have to constantly be learning how do we transmit knowledge. Knowledge that God has given to us. How do we transmit it to others? Now understand this. In transmitting on a radio frequency, two things can happen. Either this receiver is not really receiving and is not picking it up. Or I have trouble... I think Roscoe said he was a radio man. Can you have trouble with your side in trying to transmit? Oh, yeah? See? We just had trouble with this. I thought I was doing good and you wasn't receiving nothing. And that whole process... In your transmitting knowledge, watch the expression of other people. Look into their eyes. Watch their face. Watch their body length. They'll tell you if what you are saying is getting through, if it's making sense. If not, you're just using a bunch of words and nobody's home to receive it. And one of the things as Christians, what we got to work at constantly is better 
better, better communicating the gospel. You just can't have one way. Because we have a whole different group of people out here on a whole different educational planes. Many different cultures where words even mean a little different. But yet it is your responsibility to transmit the gospel to them. And you have to learn to do that. And the only way you learn to do that is by being sent out. Understand this. Those apostles and disciples had to grapple with those four things. Not only the other things that we see in Scripture, but these things were behind. When I'm out here and I'm going through this, I didn't give up a couple of days' work. I give up a couple of days' work for Jesus. Is he going to reimburse me? He's sending me out here. Who's going to pay my rent? Who's going to make my car payment? Then it comes down to the thing. Have you really admitted unto him your life? And have you really allowed him to come in? Have you really learned to submit? Because when you learn to submit, it's not about what you've given up. It's about what you are going to do in following the directions of that other person because that's where your real desire is. I don't do what Elaine asked me to do because she can make me, and she don't do what I asked her to do because I can make her. We do it out of love and submission to one another, serving each other. And we submit to Jesus, not out of force, but out of love. Out of love. If you are my disciples, you will keep my what? Commandments. We do it out of love. And then the commitment of our ways. If you're born again and you're stuck, the only reason you're stuck because you have not really committed your ways to the Lord. Because the moment you commit your way to the Lord, the Lord has the ability to pick your car up and move it out the ditch. Pick you up and give you some traction and move you. The thing is being committed. And then that last what we all got to do as his disciples is transmit this gospel. Transmit it in Jerusalem in our home first. Then in our Judea, our neighbors across the street and right there. Then to those folks we don't like very well, those Samaritans. We we even give it to them. And then we have it where we just want to take it everywhere. Everywhere. Closing. I'm close. What all we learn, and this is the outcome of this, and this is going to be the disciples. And this is, this is your life too. This is why when you see somebody 
30, 40 years, and they say, oh, I've been walking with the Lord for 30, 40 years, 20 years. I've been walking with the Lord for 15 years. There's a big difference. Somebody's been walking with the Lord only five years, eight years. Somebody walking with the Lord 25, 30 years. It should be a huge, huge difference. Why? Because life itself will give the final exam. The way you live and how you behave and what you do will dictate if you really believe him or not. If you really believe him or not. What we learn in the head, eventually God sends us out to practice. And then life experiences really show forth if I learned what was told me back here. Life experience gives me my testing to see if this was any valuable teaching to me. Life experience allows me to know if this teaching was correct or if this teaching was wrong and how I then live it. The problem with us as Christians is this. We gain a lot of knowledge. We don't live it. We prize ourselves in gathering a bunch of knowledge. But we don't live it. Put it into everyday practice. And one of the reasons we don't put it into everyday practice is the main reason that Christ sent them out. Are you going to go out in my name and do exactly what I've asked you to do? Or are you going to go out there and do your own thing? That's your test. Are you living in obedience to him? Or are you doing your own thing? Father, we just want to thank you and praise you, Lord. For constantly challenging us. Every time we learn of your word, every time we're in your word. And then, Lord, when we close it, oh God, it's in our mind and it has to get into our hearts. But you sent us out now to practice what we have discovered in your word. Lord, help us to be able to live, to dwell in you and in your word. Help us, Lord, to get beyond ourselves and desire only to do the will of him who have sent us. And Lord, even when we see that the demons obey us, and when we see, when we're obedient to your word, that this works and that works and, and, and that our marriage works and, and our finances work and, and, and our friendship works, that, Lord, that with our knowledge, our heads do not become too big for us. But we bring it back and we're able to say, in your name, Jesus, in your name this happened. In your name, this happened. In your name. Help us, Lord, to always be able to give you the glory 
so that we will not rob one ounce of your glory. May you continue to minister to us, even in our giving. May you bless us, Lord, that we might be a blessing to your church, that we might be a blessing to your people, that we might be a blessing to someone else that may not have or possess what we have. You don't mean for us to give that somebody else can have more than we have or this or that, but you want us to give, Lord, and not to give grudgingly, but to give cheerfully. May we do that in Jesus' name and in his name only. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.